This is Frank Gaffney with a word about a truly great American patriot in urgent need. Rich Higgins served in the U.S. Army and as a key civilian Pentagon official and senior strategist on President Trump's National Security Council. After he left the NSC, Rich continued advising Mr. Trump and others about the threats we are facing from enemies, foreign and domestic. He chronicled his experiences over the past 20 years fighting for America First in a terrific memoir entitled The Memo. Now this courageous freedom fighter is gravely ill due to severe complications caused by the Chinese Communist Party virus. He urgently needs help to defray the enormous costs of successive surgeries and a prospective organ transplant. I urge you to join me in contributing to a GoFundMe campaign named Medical Help for Rich Higgins. That's Medical Help for Rich Higgins at GoFundMe.com. God bless you and Rich Higgins. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Kamala Harris tells us she's worried about the root causes of illegal immigration. Although she recently visited Latin America to find out what they are, the vice president didn't examine while there a potentially huge new impetus for that problem and a disaster for the region and our country more generally. One of South America's most important nations is Peru. It may soon be lost to communists who have been working for decades with varying degrees of success to take over bankrupt and otherwise destroy states from Mexico to Argentina. Inevitably, when that happens, millions of people flee their homelands. Venezuela is a prime example of this phenomenon at the moment. Anger over COVID and widespread fraud may make an avowed Marxist with ties to Shining Path terrorists Peru's next president. If Pedro Castillo wins, our hemisphere will lose big time. This is Frank Gaffney. Dedicated to the survival of American democracy in an increasingly dangerous world, this is Secure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney, acted as Assistant Secretary of Defense for International Security Policy under President Ronald Reagan, founder of the Center for Security Policy in Washington, D.C., the go-to man for defense and foreign policy issues, joined by the greatest minds in the security policy business, the special forces in the war of ideas at Secure Freedom Radio. With Frank Gaffney. Welcome to Secure Freedom Radio. This is Frank Gaffney, your host and guide for what I think of as an intelligence briefing on the war for the free world. A woman whose intelligence we admire greatly and have had the privilege of taking advantage of from time to time is our great friend and colleague, Carolyn Glick. She is a senior fellow of the Center for Security Policy, a driving force behind LATMA, an outstanding uh, television production in Israel, where she now resides. Uh, she has, in the past, served as an aide to then Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, and we wanted to take stock with her today. Um, after he has been removed from office, um, rather unceremoniously, I might say, um, to talk about uh, what that means for Israel, what it means for the United States, um, whether it's likely to be permanent, and more. These are the questions, I think, on the minds of all of us who um, are deeply committed to the state of Israel and its security. And few people understand all these issues better than Carolyn Glick. So it's a delight to welcome her back. Thank you for joining us. Good to talk with you, my dear. Great to be on your show, Frank. Thanks for having me. So how is it that Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, after 12 years of really, I think, an extraordinary uh, run as prime minister of the state of Israel, has now been removed 
uh, by people who seem to be wholly inadequate to replace him. Uh, this is sort of the a very dirty parliamentary trick that took place. I mean, Israel, I think, as you know, and, and perhaps your your listeners know, uh, we have a parliamentary democracy. It has lots of uh, lots of uh, parties in it, and uh, traditionally, it's been divided along the right-left continuum, and each of the sides of the continuum, the right and the left, have one major party, uh, generally speaking. And then after elections, see which uh, block is going to be able to put together a governing coalition. So the right-wing uh, block or left-wing block, uh, whoever's able to put together 61 seats for a governing majority in the 120-seat Knesset. Uh, when nobody can do that, then generally we've had what's called a unity government, which is when the head of the biggest party on the right and the head of the biggest party on the left get together and they form a ruling coalition together because they can't, you know, they can't uh, hang separately, so they hang together. Um, but what we have here is something different, which is that uh, the right wing in the last elections, which were held in March, won a 65-seat uh, majority. Uh, which should have uh, enabled Netanyahu to form a stable governing coalition in the 120-seat Knesset. But instead, what happened was that two uh, very minor parties, uh, Naftali Bennett's Yamina party, which literally means to the right, as in to the right of Likud, and uh, a party called New Hope, which was formed by a disgruntled former Likud minister named Gidon Saar, refused to join a coalition under his leadership. And Naftali did it in sort of a sneaky way, and Gidon did it uh, Gidon did it openly. He said he would not serve under Netanyahu. So, um, so they instead took their two minor parties, bolted their ideological bloc, and joined the left. They call it an, uh, a unity government, but actually it isn't because it's keeping out the bulk of the right-wing Block and it's just these two little parties, each with six seats, going and joining a, uh, a coalition, uh, 75% of which uh, is cons- is uh, comprised of center left and radical left parties, and the last uh, 5% is controlled by an Islamist party, actually that's uh, aligned with the Muslim Brotherhood. So they have a 20% share of their government. Um, and it's dominated by the left and the radical left. And in a way, it's controlled by the Islamists because it's a tiny, it's just a 61-seat government. So any defection brings down, brings it down. And as a result, it's sort of hostage to the uh, four-person uh, Islamist bloc, uh, Islamist party, uh, that can bring it down at any time if, if they aren't beholden to its demands. So what you're describing is at best, an unstable government, and at worst, one that is absolutely antithetical to what the majority of Israeli voters thought they were going to put into power. Um, How is this being received by Israel? Obviously, there's a substantial number of people who hate Bibi and wanted to bring him down. uh, But those aside, um, the never Bibi crowd, I guess we would call them. Um, how is this playing out in Israel at the moment? Um, well, um, so one thing that you have to understand about the instability or stability of this coalition is that um, Naftali Bennett and Gidon Saar have just uh, thrown their thrown their voters uh, over a cliff, right? Because uh, by joining this very radical government, they've burned their bridges to to their base. And uh, since they're only minor parties, 
their voters uh, will not have a difficult time finding alternatives on the right that are more credible. So they don't have any political future. Right. But they don't have a political future. That's the thing. And one of the Likud members called them suicide bombers, which was a little bit over the top. But the basic idea was that they don't have anywhere to go back. This is a you know, this was a one way one way trip uh, to the left because they can't come back. So that means that they're beholden completely to the left. So that's that's uh, about, you know, uh, that it how is it being run in Israel? You know, the 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 media in Israel is is very much. Uh, like the media in the United States, they have been uh, dedicated to annihilating Netanyahu in the public mind and in any other way possible, really, uh, for the past uh, 20 years. And um, so the media is, as is its wont, uh, providing extremely distorted portrait of what just happened to to the public. I mean, there are other alternatives uh, media organs, like the largest circulation in, uh, paper in Israel, Israel Hayom, which I, I'm a senior columnist for, and other uh, outlets. But uh, the the electronic media, the radio and television are overwhelmingly uh, left-wing. And so they're celebrating this. They were basically on the streets. And we had, you know, just to give you a sense of how radical they are, uh, President Trump was the, the, the entire population of Israel recognized that he was the most pro-Israel president in history, and uh, one of the uh, one of the television stations here ha- has a correspondent in Washington, and he was on the streets of Washington dancing with Democrats uh, in his report after after uh, after uh, after Biden was inaugurated. So you know that just sort of gives you a sense of of just how open they are. Yeah, just how open they are in their bias. Right. And this is uh, endemic in Israel. I think it's fair to say that your press makes our press look um, conservative <laughs> in terms of how uh, how well, far to the left they I are. Mean, you have more balance because you have Fox and you have Newsmax and you have other outlets. We just have one small right-wing uh, television station, which is actually an improvement because we didn't have that even a couple of years ago, but they have no, they have a tiny budget and they're not capable of doing anything significant. So um, what are the implications of uh, this period? Um, Bibi, has made very clear his his parting statement in the Knesset was very powerful, um, obviously quite bitter toward Naftali Bennett, uh, by whom he was he and their uh, his party's voters were betrayed. But um, he warned of very dire implications um, if this uh, government lasts at all. First of all, um, do you anticipate it will last very long? And if it does, give us a sense of how you see those implications. I, I really don't know how long it'll last because, I mean, it, I think it'll last as long as uh, what's called the alternate prime minister, who's really just the prime minister, uh, Lapid, uh, Yair Lapid, he's the head of the largest left-wing party, and he's the foreign minister now, and they have a rotation agreement, he and Naftali, and so he's supposed to take over in, in two years, in 2023. And I, I think that really this government will last as long as he wants it to last because um, they want to pass laws that bar Netanyahu from running for Knesset. And they need to pass those laws, particularly Lapid, because so long as Netanyahu is the head of the nationalist bloc in Israel, no left-wing candidate has a chance of, of winning a governing majority. 
because Netanyahu remains the most popular leader in Israel and the most powerful political force in Israel. Um, and so their greatest goal on the left is to remove him not only from office, as they did yesterday, but remove him from politics, remove the threat of Netanyahu, because he's in the Knesset leading the opposition. Um, they'll never be able to win an election outright. They can only steal through parliamentary tricks like they did yesterday. And so, it, you know, that's now on the table in the Knesset is a, is a bill uh, that would specifically, personally bar Netanyahu, only Netanyahu, from running again for Knesset, which is, you know, it doesn't pass any test of uh, of a rule of law democracy, but they don't care. But how does so that, that how does that work? They can fall tomorrow. D- does that mean well, that if they have a parliamentary majority for this, if they can get 61 votes in favor of it, then it'll be a law. So he would be removed from the Knesset altogether or does he have to no, I think be barred be from running again? Right. He would be barred from running again. But so for the interim, he could remain the opposition leader and presumably, as he promised he would do, he can work to try to bring down the government. Um, but it uh, it does presumably get trickier if he is barred from power altogether and the chance to return to power, I should say. Um, so this, again, gives rise, Carolyn Glick, to a question about this comes at a dangerous time. I did a commentary uh, yesterday on the subject. Uh, a lot of evil uh, enemies of Israel are on the march at the moment. I think it's fair to say, in part, encouraged to be so by the Biden-Harris administration. Um, where does this leave Israel at the moment, as you see it, and uh, and what's the way ahead? Yeah, I think I think one of the biggest uh, dangers emanating from this government, and and Netanyahu alluded to it, um, is is the incompetence of its of its leaders. I mean, Bennett has no major achievements under his belt, aside from taking a couple of uh, high tech companies public and making a lot of money. Um, and Lapid was a uh, was was one of the worst finance ministers we've ever had during his brief stint as finance minister in one of Netanyahu's governments, together with uh, uh, Bennett in 2013. Um, he was a failed finance minister, and before that, he was a he was a television uh, entertainer. So they're they're incompetent, really, to handle the threats that Israel faces, uh, just based on their records, but also based on their lack of judgment. And so what we're already seeing now, we saw in the last couple of weeks when it started becoming clear that uh, they were going to go ahead and do this, and that Netanyahu is about to be ousted from power, is that they're aligning Israel's strategic policy with that of the Biden administration on key issues, on two key issues that uh, pose both of them in their own way an existential threat to Israel, that is, they threaten Israel's very existence. The first one is on Iran's nuclear program, and the second one is on the issue of of the Palestinian conflict with Israel. And uh, the Biden administration supports enabling Iran to become a nuclear power. I mean, that's essentially the end point of the nuclear deal that they're seeking to reinstate. And the Biden administration supports the establishment of a Palestinian state uh, in areas that Israel requires to protect itself and to maintain its very existence as a Jewish state. And you have a majority in this government that supports Biden's policies on the Palestinians and on Iran. Which presumably will translate into further emboldening 
both the Iranians and the Palestinians. Uh, we've seen the effects of that most recently in uh, vicious attacks against Israel, some 4,000 um, rockets and missiles and so on coming out of Gaza. Um, you've also talked with us in the past, Carolyn, about um, the sort of terrorist attacks um, by Israeli Arabs, uh, not just these uh, Palestinians. Um, when this is... Uh, you know, translated into action by such entities, uh, whether it's Iran itself, whether it's its proxies like Hamas or Hezbollah, for that matter, or these Israeli-Palestinian, these Israeli-Arabs, I should say, um, it, it seems as though we're going to see some very rough sledding for Israel. Um, might this uh, become the catalyst for uh, a new conflict between Israel and its Arab um, or uh, Muslim adversaries? And if so, how would you characterize um, Israel's position to contend with such an eventuality, given the character of this particular government? You know, nothing invites aggression better than weakness. And this government, because of, you know, the it's it's uh, it's uh, radical, the, the radical nature of most of its members and the Sort of confusion and weakness of of its leadership. Uh, that's that's precisely the message that it's sending out. So yeah, I think that they're inviting aggression against Israel. And regarding what Israel would do in a, in a situation like that, I mean, it's important to know that Netanyahu, as opposition leader, isn't going to be uh, harming, you know, or trying to undermine Israel's war efforts. In 2006, he was opposition leader during the second Lebanon war, which was led incompetently by Oud Olmert. But uh, Netanyahu immediately rallied to the side of the government and worked tirelessly uh, to defend Israel in the international arena and, uh, and you know, was constantly speaking with Olmert and trying to give him advice to, to protect the country. So I don't think that there would be anything different about the way that he would respond to a national emergency under this government, and so I think that in that sense they would have the benefit of his his uh, experience, but only if they want it. Because one of the things, one of the worst aspects of this government is that the real reason that it was formed to begin with was because Gidon Saar and Naftali Bennett and the members of their factions, their little tiny factions, uh, share one very important uh, position with the radical left and the moderate left and the Islamist. And that is a burning, all-consuming, obsessive hatred and envy of Netanyahu. And and so I don't know whether they would be willing to accept support from him. And I think that that's really a danger. I don't doubt the, you know, the capacity of Israel's armed forces to defend the country, but I do doubt the capacity of, uh, of Naftali Bennett and, and Yair Lapid and Benny Gantz, the defense minister, uh, to adequately lead this country in times of national emergency. And I think that really is a, is a big problem. It is a huge problem. And um, it, to just make matters worse, um, if you back the lens up, Israel is not simply confronting challenges from Iran or even the Palestinians, uh, as you know better than just about anybody, Carolyn Glick, um, whether it's Syria or Lebanon or Turkey, Turkey or Libya, 
all of these places, uh, the Russian involvement, uh, the, the Chinese perhaps in the mix now with Iran especially, I mean, these are the kinds of dynamics that almost certainly are going to end badly. And therefore, Israel's ability to deter, and if deterrence fails, to contend effectively with such a multifaceted threat environment is um, is just absolutely of paramount importance, obviously, to the Jewish state itself, but I would argue also to the United States of America. And hence, I guess the question then recurs, is there a chance, as Bibi has promised, that he will be able to return to power sooner rather than later? Um, and if so, how does that come about? Well, he had his first meeting as opposition leader today, and I think he said something very important. He said it requires iron discipline from the opposition to bring them down, but there already is. I mean, one thing that he has with the 52 members of his opposition faction is um, a single-minded uh, determination to oust this government, and they also are 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 very... Uh, cohesive in terms of their governing uh, policies and the policies that they're going to advance as the opposition. So this is going to be an incredibly powerful opposition. And you also, again, you have these two suicide parties, right? They have six members and each of them. And um, the members of those parties, are any of them who want to have a future in politics, um, are going to be thinking every minute of every day, whether they should stay where they are or run away. And um, so I think, you know, you may see uh, an ineluctable and ever-increasing pressure on members of of Bennett's faction and Sars faction uh, to leave their parties and join Likud. And to that end, by the way, Netanyahu already received uh, the, the permission of the Likud Central Committee to bring in uh, three uh, three defectors from the coalition into Likud and to give them guaranteed positions on the Likud list for the next election, so that uh, he he you know he will be able with that uh, to bring about um, to to I don't want to say to bring about but uh, to keep massive pressure on the two right wing factions in the government. Uh, to break apart. And if they do that, then this government falls. From your lips to God's ears, as they say, Carolyn Glick, thank you for helping explicate what is going on in a country that uh, I believe is vital to America's security interests in that region, as well as um, to so many millions of Americans who, um, for a variety of reasons, um, attach great importance to our strategic partnership with Israel. And we appreciate all that you do to help illuminate what the stakes are and why that faith in and commitment to Israel is warranted. Thanks for what you do at Israel Hayom, as well as um, your two terrific books, The Israeli Solution, A One-State Plan for Peace in the Middle East and Shackled Warrior, and for joining us from time to time. Frank, just also, uh, your listeners can uh, watch my weekly uh, webcast, the Carolyn Glick Middle East News Hour, from my website, carolynglick.com, or subscribe to my channels on Rumble or YouTube to watch them every week uh, for more in-depth analysis of what's happening. Fantastic. If you've liked what you heard today, there's a lot more of it where that came from. Thank you, Carolyn. Join us again soon if you would. God bless you. And people. Talk to you soon. We'll be right back with more right after this.
visit us at facebook.com slash securefreedom with Frank Gaffney.